Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. From KUNC and the NPR Network, this is In the NOCO, your daily slice of Northern Colorado news and happenings. It's Thursday, January 11th. I'm Erin O'Toole. Ten years ago this month, the first recreational cannabis dispensaries opened their doors to long lines of excited people. Those first few years were known as the Green Rush. But now, with sales and revenue dipping from their highest point, some are wondering what the next 10 years will bring for the industry. One person who's watching closely is Ricardo Baca. The former journalist spent three years as the Denver Post's first-ever marijuana editor, even though he had only just tried edibles for the very first time. That was um, probably six months before I got the job, which was very surprising, uh, because when the editor-in-chief of the Post came to me and said, hey, we want you to be the weed editor, I said, you know that I'm not the biggest stoner in the newsroom right now. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know, and that's part of the reason we want you. He now works with Grasslands, the marketing agency he founded that specializes in cannabis, psychedelics, and similar businesses. Ricardo, I want to start by asking you what it was like to cover the cannabis industry just as it was taking off in Colorado. You know, it was so fun as the cannabis editor at the Denver Post, especially in that in that era that you're referencing. You know, this was 2013, 2014, so right at the dawn of not only adult use legalization in Colorado, but uh, recreational legalization across the world, because, of course, we were the first in the world to do this. And because I was writing for, you know, our state's paper of record, the Denver Post, I was really instructed to not only go after the serious stories. Uh, I did some investigative journalism, some breaking news coverage, some politics, um, some regulatory updates. Uh, But but I also was really uh, passionate about keeping it light and keeping it fun, too. So I hired a couple pot critics. I hired a columnist to write about the challenges of being a parent in that newly legal era um, with a small child where there's child protective services to be concerned about and you don't know what that means. And then we also, uh, you know, had had a recipe writer who wrote about, you know, cooking with uh, infused recipes, can of butter and can of oil. And so we had a lot of fun at the Denver Post in those early days, but we also did a lot of serious journalism. And I was very fortunate in those years to be backed up by a massive team, of course. And that is truly why what we created was so special at that time. You know, as I think back to 2014, when the dispensaries first opened to recreational cannabis, I remember this very stark dichotomy about what people thought was going to happen. Cannabis was either going to absolutely be the savior of Colorado's economy with billions of dollars in revenue, or it was just going to destroy everything. Of course, as with most things, the answer lies pretty much smack in the middle here. What what stands out to you about that time and about the decades since voters said yes? You know, Aaron, I guess one thing I would say is I would push back a little bit because I don't think we landed in the middle. I think you did have the advocates pushing for legalization and you had the prohibitionists who wanted to keep it illegal. 
Uh, the prohibitionists were out there telling us all of the evils of weed and what this was going to do to our communities and our children. And it turns out that they are abjectly wrong, according to not only Colorado data, but all other state department or health department data in other states. Not to mention, uh, if you look at the Monitoring the Future study, which is produced out of uh, the University of Michigan every year, and it's a federal, I believe it's produced by SAMHSA at the federal level, um, you know, we're seeing that that kids and youths are uh, ingesting cannabis at similar or lesser rates than pre-legalization levels. And so I really think that it's not in the middle of what we were told. Those, those advocates weren't coming and saying it was going to save our economy. They were simply saying, hey, this is going to be an additional 40 million for schools every year. Plus those surpluses can go to other things. And that's exactly what has happened. So I would say that, of course, I have skin in the game these days. I, I used to be an unbiased journalist. And now I am very much one of those drug policy advocates who believes we need to legalize all all the drugs. Um, but but what we're seeing now and what we've seen for the last 10 plus years is really a lot more aligned with what the advocates were pushing. They weren't saying that this is a miracle drug that's going to save all of our problems, nor were they saying that this was going to correct broken economies. Uh, they were just saying, hey, we should stop putting people in jail for a plant, especially a non-toxic one at that. And, uh, and, and now that we've done that, I think we have seen a lot of progress there, not only in, in terms of righting uh, the broken wrongs and the past historical wrongs of this drug war, um, but also starting to make the state extra cash to begin with. And a lot of that has gone to, gone to schools. And in the last 11 years, we've seen those tax funds go all over the place now to help other programs uh, as well. Well, in terms of the industry evolving, I know Colorado has made some strides in terms of social equity in the cannabis industry. Um, that means ensuring people of color and women are given a truly fair shot to start businesses and to thrive. And that's important because people from these communities have been hit especially hard by past laws that banned cannabis. So I wonder if you think the state has done enough in that realm. You know, it is tough because... Colorado has done a solid job of moving social equity initiatives and measures forward, especially in recent years, but we were very late to the game. And truth be told, we've seen more aggressive systems in place in states like Massachusetts and then Illinois and now New York. We're seeing a very aggressive push there um, by the governor and her team, the state legislature. Um, but unfortunately, we have not seen any of these measures truly work in part because of the insane barriers to entry for an entrepreneur to get involved in cannabis. You know, you think about you want to get that license, you want to grow weed or you want to open a dispensary. The barriers to entry are still monolithic. So even if the, the government and the regulators are helping you fast track the regulatory permitting process, do you still have access to capital? Do you still have access to $500,000, $2 million in some situations? And, and what we're seeing is no. And of course, we still lack banking in the modern cannabis industry. Right now, the, the two biggest issues that we're fighting for in DC, one is descheduling cannabis. It's currently schedule one. And there's the movement right now within the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, to reschedule cannabis from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3, 
Um, many of us think it should be descheduled entirely, uh, just like alcohol. Uh, of course, alcohol kills 80,000 Americans a year and cannabis is killing zero. And of course, that is data that we can attribute to um, the federal government, uh, you know, NIDA, the National Institutes on Drug, Drug Abuse and whatnot. So, so that is a really challenging circumstance. But the second thing we're really pushing for progress in D.C. is the Safer Banking Act. So this would allow these banking services to these entrepreneurs because right now they still do not have access. So when you think about it, you're a social equity applicant, you have the license, you have the friendly relationship with the regulators, but you can't get the capital because you don't have it within your own family ecosystem and you can't go to the bank uh, because these businesses still have no access to traditional bank loans. All right. So it sounds like then for Colorado to make more progress in the this area, it sounds like we need some things to change at the federal level. We desperately do. Well, Ricardo Baca, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you, Erin. We want to know what you think. Where should Colorado's cannabis industry go from here? Send us a note at noco at kunc.org. And that's it for us today here on In the NoCo. Robin Vincent is our executive producer. I'm your host, Erin O'Toole. We'll be back tomorrow with more of what's happening in Northern Colorado.